Amen. You may be seated. And as you're taking your seats, I invite you to reach for your Bible and turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 26 for our text this morning. You can also find it on the insert inside of your bulletin along with a brief outline of today's passage. If you were with us last Sunday, um, you will remember we have transitioned away from focusing on the life of Abraham. We began this uh, section of Scripture on, in chapter 12, focusing on Abraham and his life and his ministry. Uh, he has gone to be with the Lord. And now we are shifting to his son, Isaac. And Isaac is continuing the um, focus upon God's particular people. And I will say I'm extremely grateful for uh, Pastor Tony and his sermon last Sunday. I hope you were able to hear it, uh, where he showed us uh, through the birth of Jacob and Esau, uh, God's promises, God's faithfulness, and God's faithfulness often in ways that we do not expect. That section of Scripture really um, does um, start to show us just how God ordains all things for His glory and for our good. And I love the, the ties that He made there um, in it. And it's... <laughs> Even listening to that sermon again this week in preparation for this morning, I found myself going, sometimes it's hard to agree. Not that God's Word is wrong or not that anything Pastor Tony said was wrong, but isn't it hard sometimes to say, God, you are good and you are sovereign and I'm in an awful, messy, sticky, ugly, terrible place right now, but you're doing this for me because I need it and in the end I will love you more and I will be more sanctified because of it. Um, I, I took a quote after Pastor Tony, out of Pastor Tony's sermon last week, and I, I, again, I commend it to you. God's glory always works out for His people's good. That's true for you, even when it doesn't feel like it in the here and now. I think that's a great summary of the previous section. And this is going to continue to be evident as we walk through the life of Isaac. We're going to see a bit of it this morning unfold. And sadly, what we're going to see is, in some ways, this is a bit of a repeat sermon. Uh, I was joking with the elders beforehand. I, I really could just recycle uh, a sermon from Genesis chapter 12, just change some names, and really preach that sermon. Because you're going to hear things today that you've heard before. You're going to find yourself going, wait a minute, I've heard this before. And it's true. Because Isaac is his father's son. He shares in the strengths and in the weaknesses of his father. Because of this, God's grace, God's strength, and God's mercy that sustain his father will be equally necessary for him. The beauty of that is that same strength and mercy and grace that was sufficient for Abraham, that was sufficient for Isaac, is sufficient for you and for me today. And so while we will address familiar themes, may we hear it with fresh ears, fresh minds, and fresh hearts that we might receive this truth and that it might transform our lives. That being said, please follow along with me as I read for us the Word of God. Uh, Genesis chapter 26, I'll start in verse 1 and read to the 17th verse. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar and Abimelech king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. 
For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking, Lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech king of the Philistines looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, is she your wife? How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled the earth with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and had camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me as we ask his blessing upon us during this time? Almighty God, it is by your sovereign will and pleasure that you have ordained this passage for us this day, for you know we need it. And so, Lord, I ask that you give us wisdom, that you give us guidance, that you give me clarity and boldness as I preach and proclaim your word. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are receptive and ready to receive this truth? May we not walk away unchanged, but may it transform our lives and affect how we interact with one another in our day-to-day business, and most importantly, how we treat you as our Lord and as our King. This can only be done by the power of your Holy Spirit, and so grant it we ask now in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I alluded to just a moment ago, remember all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when God promised Abraham, or Abram at the time, a land unto his ancestors, that God would lead him to. Go to this place where I will show you. Leave your home. Leave your kindred. Leave your father's house. Go to where I will tell you. And we see Abram follow the Lord's prompting all the way to Canaan. But the land's already inhabited. There are people in the land. Despite that, Abram builds altars and he praises God saying, the Lord has shown me that which he has prepared for me. He's not worried in the least bit. He knows that God is a God who keeps His promises. And here in our passage, we have a a, a similar uh, story, at least in that opening section. Isaac's been benefiting from this land, the land of Canaan. This land is provided for him. But now there's a problem. There's a famine. Really, problem's not the best way to put it. There's an opportunity. Isaac needs to make some major life decisions here. And he's really faced with a few options. Trust God 
rely on his own wisdom, or sink into despair. And really, isn't that our options when trials come? We're faced with, will I trust God in this? Will I seek my own cunning and my own wisdom to get myself out of this? Or will I fall into despair? Sometimes it's not trials that we face. Trials are opportunities to to show our faith and to grow in them. Sometimes it's the devil, and it's not a trial, but it's a temptation. And temptations come to lead us away from God, not to grow us in God, but but to pull us away, to seek ourselves, to chase lustful desires, desires of the flesh, to turn our back on Him and His Word and His truth. But in both instances, whether it's a trial or whether it's a temptation, the answer is cling to Christ. Hope in Him. Rest in Him. Seek Him and His Word and His way. And as we look at this section this morning, it really breaks down into three neat sections. We're going to see every opportunity Isaac's had, and we're going to see he could either trust in God and be blessed, or trust in himself and reap the consequences. Trust in God trust in self. It really breaks down into those two points, doesn't it? And I want us to see that in the three epics in our passage. First, I want us to see that God continues covenant promises, an opportunity to trust, and Isaac does. This is found in the first six verses. Secondly, we see temptation come, verses 7 through 11. Fear, a temptation, reveals familiar sin. And then thirdly, we see another opportunity to trust, God's blessing separating us from the world. This is the final section. Trust in God, trust in self. That's what we'll be observing this morning. Let's um, take this, these two options and look at it in the light of the first six verses. And the passage opens up with a famine, just like we uh, spoke of just a second ago. The land that is supposed to provide nourishment, the land that is supposed to give you that which you need to sustain life is now found to be barren. And Isaac's either going to trust in God here or he's going to rely on his own cunning. And as I alluded to at the very beginning, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, it it really is um, divine how similar these stories are. Because what happens to Abram and Sarai, one of the first things that happens in their journey as a particular people of God, a famine was in the land. There they sojourn to Egypt. And so we see Isaac act in the same way as his father. He's got a problem. He seeks the Lord's answer to solve it. For Abraham or Abram and and Sarai, it's to go to Egypt For Isaac, though, it's specifically not to go to Egypt. Uh, The Lord commands him, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. What a a great clause here. What, what What a great series of things to do and not to do. I want to pick this apart just for a second. Why not Egypt? It was good for his father. Why was it not good for him? Well, there's two reasons, two main reasons. One, Egypt would have been a place of safety and security. Egypt would have been a place of abundance. Egypt would have been a place that would have been very easy to get comfortable and relaxed. And as it goes, quite often is the case, when we get abundance, when we get everything we need and we want, 
when we have all of our troubles cared for and provided for, we're less likely to rely upon the Lord our God. And sadly, if you follow the history of the Old Testament, that's the story of Israel. When they were in trouble, when they were in hardship, whether they were um, in exile, whether they were wandering in the wilderness, their trust in God was high. When the temple is built, when they have provision, when they have a mighty king, when they have all they want, we see a swing low and their trust in God becomes less. And so one of the reasons I believe that God is telling Isaac, do not go to Egypt, is he knows the temptation there will be great to become complacent, to become comfortable, and not to do that which God has called him to do. And then the second reason that I believe the Lord is telling him not to travel to Egypt, I mentioned earlier, Egypt was a good place for Abraham, but was it? What happens when Abraham gets to Egypt? The first of two occurrences of Abraham fearing for his life, he pawns off his wife as his sister. In fear of his own safety, he doesn't want to be killed, he doesn't want her to be taken, so the answer is, she is my sister. And so that which was supposed to be a place of blessing became a great place of temptation for him, and unfortunately Abraham fell into sin in this place. And so knowing this about Abram, and sorry I keep floating between Abram and Abraham, um, it, it's hard to, to keep them straight when they occur in the narrative. Knowing that about his father, the Lord in a lot of ways was protecting the son. In some ways he was saying to Isaac, I know what happened to your father here, and I want to protect you from similar temptation. I want to, as much as I can, keep that out of your life. I don't want you to succumb in the same way your father did. So I will keep you from that great place of temptation, lest you fall to it. Unfortunately, what we find out in section 2 is um, it has more to do with the own, one's own heart than it does the location. Uh, sin goes with us because sin is a part of us. And uh, he found a way to sin, whether it was in Egypt or in Gerar. But the Lord is really telling him, don't go here. Instead, go to a place where I shall tell you. Now, why is that significant? How much trust does that take? How much trust was it for Abram? Leave your land, your house, your relatives, your father. Go to where I will tell you. It takes a great deal of faith to leave safety, security, peace, to go to the unknown, to pack up and to move, to trust God and trust His process and trust His plan and trust His goodness. And so what the Lord really was doing for Isaac is saying, I will ensure you trust me. And when is that easier to do? When everything's handed to us or when we've got to wait on the Lord and hope and pray that He will give it to us in due time. See, the Lord was providing a great mercy to Isaac through this journey. He really was fulfilling his promise to his father, um, Abraham, which is, I will grant you a people who follow me, who trust in me, who hope in me, who rest in me. And just like Abraham needed to be pulled along at times, so too would his son. And let me pause real quick before we go to the second section here and remind us this is the same for you and me today. We need the same quite often, don't we? 
And if you think in that way, doesn't that put a new perspective on difficulties, on challenges, on hardships, on not getting that promotion, on having to go to the third parent-teacher conference for your kid, on um, getting stuck behind traffic, on having the um, garbage truck kick up a rock on your way to work and cracking your windshield, on all of those scenarios, doesn't it shift our focus when instead of going, oh, life's unfair, this is unfortunate, why me, why did this happen to me, Um, I've never done anything against anyone, which is untrue. Instead, we go, God is good. God knows my heart. God knows what I need. And while I may not have planned this, predicted this, or asked for it, He knows I need this for my sanctification and for His glory. It shifts how we see the world. It shifts how we live our lives. And so I just want to encourage us this morning. God did the same for Abraham. God did the same for Isaac. And rest assured, He does the same for us. We trust in Him. We take him by faith, and he will bless us, as we see in the final section here. But before we get to that, in those moments, in those seasons, we can trust and we can be blessed, or we can rest and rely upon ourselves and face the consequence of our actions. And unfortunately, we see that happen in the second section. As Isaac gets to Gerar, and he is in town, and people want to get to know him, as, as the newcomer, they all flock to him. I can see the scene play out. Hey, how's it going? It's like, hey, it's nice to meet your wife, Rebecca. And in that moment, there we go. Temptation, an opportunity to trust God or trust man, to listen to God or to fear God. And what does he do? He falls into the sin of his father. Oh, that's my sister. And so to protect her, he lies, just like his father lied. And isn't this a stark contrast? We get through the first six verses. God calls him. God promotes blessing. God promises um, everything he promised to his father, Abraham, for Isaac. And Isaac obeys and Isaac goes. And then immediately he's faced with an opportunity to hold on to that blessing or to reject it. And he turns his back on it. And the Lord provides for us His inner thoughts. Um, We we don't have to wonder, is this the case? It says right there um, in verse 7, He feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah. And note this, terrible husband. It's not, my wife will, or these people will do harm to her. It's not, I value her life. It's, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. My wife is so pretty, they may kill me to get her. Terrible, terrible uh, husband uh, action there. So he gave in to fear. He, he gave in to the fear of man and lied and sinned. And I was thinking about this morning um, and, and this week uh, and on my trip uh, last weekend, and the best way I can, I can describe this to you, how sin gets in and it takes root and then it just, a little by little it takes over and then all of a sudden you look up and it's everywhere. Uh, we have this plant in Mississippi, and I know it's in parts of Missouri, but not like it is in Mississippi and Alabama. It's called kudzu. If you've ever seen it once, you've seen it and you know it. Kudzu, this, it was this vine. Um, it was introduced uh, in, in the deep south um, 
in the late 1800s. It's native to Eastern Asia. And the thought was, when it was originally introduced, was this would be a great plant to slow or stop soil erosion. Uh, that it would get in, it would take root, and it would stop um, on the sides of roads, on hills, um, and things like that. It would keep um, water from running down and eating the, the land away. So they planted it. In fact, um, talking to my father-in-law, who's a retired forester, uh, they went on campaigns. They paid farmers to plant kudzu and to grow this. There's just one problem. Um, it became one of the most invasive species of plants in the United States. Uh, it took aggressively to the soil. And if you show pictures, you go, go look it up when you get home, look up a uh, kudzu on the road or, or kudzu. Um, it did cover the ground and protect and prevent erosion. But then it grew up on the trees in that area. And it grew up the sides of the houses in that area. And it covered cars and it covered land. Um, and I'm sure given enough time, it would cover animals. And it just, like a swarm took completely over. And now, that which they put in to the system to protect the system, they have campaigns to eradicate it. They're currently growing a particular fungus to attack it because they can't seem to kill it. Um, they burn it, and they cut it out, and they do all that they can to keep it from growing and spreading. That's what sin does. Sin looks attractive. It looks like it will solve a problem. It looks convenient. But when it takes root, it will grab a hold of every aspect of our lives and consume us and suffocate us. If left to our own devices, that's what sin will do. And if it's not for the grace and mercy of God, that would be our fate. That, that would be our consequence to be consumed by this wicked plant in our life and in our hearts. And here's the thing, Here, here's the irony of this situation. Abimelech accidentally finds out, right? He, he's, he's looking out the window, and, and Isaac and Rebekah are, are sitting probably a little closer than brother and sister should, and they're on a bench together, and they're hip to hip, and they're laughing, and, and, and Abimelech, he's a smart guy, and he's going, wait a minute, that, 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 that doesn't look uh, fraternal. That, that looks a little too friendly. And so he goes, and he confronts him, and he says, what are you doing? And he said, I was scared. And Abimelech, you, you've got the pagan saying, why on earth would you bring that upon us? You've been here for a long time. Any of the men of this town could have taken her for their wife and slept with her, and you would have incurred God's wrath upon us. Why does Abimelech say these things? Because he's dealt with this before. He's dealt with this with Isaac's father. Same scenario, same situation. But read into that the beauty of, of God no one has taken her. No one has touched her. No one has violated her. No one has even assaulted him because of her. Even more so, it gets known. And what does Abimelech do? Abimelech puts a protection around them. You shall not touch this woman. And so we see what would have happened with honesty in the first place. If Isaac had come in and been open and honest, he would have been protected. The village would have welcomed him, and he would have had freedom... Instead, he lives, the text says, for a great while in this place in fear and in worry and anxiety for his life, putting his wife at risk. While the phrase like father, like son is often used in a positive light, here we could say it reflects the unhealthy corners of Abraham and Isaac's hearts. The corners of their hearts that are afraid of what might come. 
They're afraid of those hypothetical scenarios that we're all too prone to creating in our mind. We, we get that question of what if going, and we don't stop until we're in a very terrible place. So much so that it is easy to take a quick way out and to pursue our own results instead of trusting in the God who loves us and cares for us. But in this, we see God's mercy on display and that even through his fear, God was protecting them and providing for them. And as we go into the final section of our passage, we see that God was blessing them even then, even in a season of fear, worry, and doubt. And his mercy is revealed as the story continues. And that would have been a sad story, wouldn't it, if we had ended in verse 11. You've got this man of God, this man of faith. He's the child of promise um, that had been promised to Abraham and to Sarah. And he trusts God, and then he fell into sin, just like his father. If we'd have stopped there, it would have been an awful story. But it doesn't. Our text states that Isaac worked hard in the land, and that the land blessed him back a hundredfold for his efforts. God gives him the ability to work, and work well. And he does. He is very fruitful in his labor, a hundredfold He's called a wealthy, a powerful man, not only in his own eyes, but in the eyes of the people around him. Now, let me just say, I want to make sure to interject this here. I'm not saying when we trust God, when we trust his promises, when we follow him, he is going to make us prosperous and wealthy and successful. Sometimes that is the case. And spiritually, it is absolutely and always the case. But financially, we cannot read this and go, oh, I've just got to trust you, God, and you will 100x my labors. That's not what's meant here. Because sometimes what we need is like the the widow in the New Testament. We need to have absolutely nothing so that what we have is God. So let's be very careful here. I don't want you to read this as a prescription. But we do see that the Lord blesses Isaac financially. He blesses him with material wealth and material gain because he is the promised son. He looks different than those in his community. He stands out. They look to him and go, there's something different about his life than is about mine. And that's what happens to us when we trust God. It, It may not be financially, but maybe it's peace and happiness. We as Christians should be the happiest and the most peaceful people on this world. And when the world sees us, when society sees us, they ought to look at us and go, how on earth can you be happy? You're barely making your mortgage. You're in a job that's not that great. You've got struggles going on. Your health is uh, terrible. Why are you the way you are? What a great question to have asked of a Christian. Because then we have an opportunity to give a record, to give a defense of the hope that is in us, which is Jesus Christ. And we see that, that, that something similar was going on in the life of Isaac. The Lord blessed Isaac and the world took notice. And unfortunately, instead of worshiping the God that Isaac worships, instead of listening to his words, instead of trusting in him as he trusts in God, they become jealous. And they, t- they take some actions against him. The, the first action we see here, uh, the Philistines fill in some wells. Now, you, you may read that and go, well, what's the big deal about that? Two things. One, you're in a time of famine. You're in a time of, of, of a shortage of resources. Water would have been one of the most treasured possessions one can have. And so they are cutting him off. Two, and this is important to remember, go back to chapter 21. Abraham purchased a well from Abimelech. They argued 
And Abraham said, this is mine. It was dug by my hands and it belongs to me. And they made a peace treaty and all was good. Here we are six chapters later or five chapters later and the Philistines are covering them up. We don't care whose they are. You're not going to get to have them. And it, it's, it, they didn't just stop there. It's not just that they try to cut him off from the blessing of the land. They get so worried about his blessing that Abimelech tells him very frankly, go away from us for you are mightier than we. Again, a very different contrast from what Abimelech tells Abraham, dwell in this land, be at peace, come live amongst us. They are so anxious about who he is and what God has done in his life that they don't want him in their presence. And this leads Isaac to leave the land, which has become a place of blessing, to settle in the valley of Gerar outside of the city. Now let me recap the passage as a whole and, and see if we can um, apply this to us today. God is preparing Isaac to take the spiritual mantle that his father held. He knows his weaknesses and his struggles and so directs his path from this place to that. He does not let him go to Egypt where the famine, when the famine comes into the land. When he grows in wealth and power, he's told to leave Gerar to settle outside the city by the Philistines and by Abimelech, who's a jealous man. Isaac is primed to recognize, appreciate, and submit his whole faith in God and in God alone. His journey, while it ends up being a blessing, is one of constant dependent upon, dependence upon the Lord for provision, protection, and care. And as we think about it this morning, isn't that we where we want to find ourselves? I, I dare say any of us will pray to God, God, give me trials and difficulties and challenges in my life. I would tell you, be careful praying that because God listens when you pray. But shouldn't we pray, as we have already in this service, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Shouldn't we ask God, bring me what I need to trust in you. Give me whatever it takes to place my hope and rest and mercy upon you. It's only, oh goodness, I guess it's been almost four years ago now, playing Frisbee with a group of students that I would catch a Frisbee wrong, land funny, dislocate my knee, try to put it back in place, and in doing so, sever my patellar tendon, requiring two surgeries and a year and a half of PT. I spent a great, year, great deal of time, six months, thinking I would never walk again the way that I did. You endured me with patience, seated. Uh, how can you let a preacher preach seated? I don't know, but you did. I had to have the elders carry me up here to this chancel so that I could preach in this pulpit. I would never wish a severed patellar tendon on anyone. It is excruciating and not pleasant and not enjoyable. I can tell you, though, having to have an elder physically carry you up to the pulpit so that you can preach the Word of God will draw your dependence and focus and appreciation on the Lord like nothing else will. I would not wish that season on anyone, but from a personal perspective, I cannot think of a season that I've grown more in my faith and trust in the Lord than in that one. And by His mercy and blessing, here I stand before you and I walk. That's only because He deemed it so. We don't often plan for those things to happen in our lives, but when they come, may we trust in Him, know that He's a good God. He gives us what we need. He will be glorified, and He leads us down the path that He's called us to 
And it will work out in the end for his glory and for our good. We see it in the life of Isaac, and we'll continue to see it as the narrative goes forth. Would you please bow with me? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, it is often difficult as we walk this life to see your hand in all things. It is difficult to say, God, this is for my good, when it seems like it will only lead to trouble, to turmoil, and to hardship. But Lord, may we say, I would rather not have a penny to my name and be homeless and be lost in this world, but be known in the kingdom of heaven than to have all the treasures this earth can provide and face an eternity in hell and separation from God. We need you, Lord, as Isaac needs you. Lord, we need to trust in you as Isaac trusted in you. And Lord, even though his faith was great, He fell into sin and temptation, as did his father, as do we all. And so, Lord, not only would you bless us, but would you make us a people who are quick to repent, to claim our faults and failures, to lay them down at the foot of the cross, to ask you to forgive them, to turn us from them and turn them toward you. And we might hope in you, trust in you, rest in you for every moment, every season, every step of our life until you come and bring us home through death or the return of our Savior. Help us cling to you, O God. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.